Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I still can't believe we're coming up on the last month of school for our kids already. Uh, so major props to all the students out there uh, and the parents for navigating the challenges of virtual school this past year. Now, this morning, our lectionary text uh, is focused on the theme of love, which is something that's central to our experience and practice of faith. And even if we think we cognitively understand love, practicing it and receiving it in authentic ways can still be very challenging. And so before we jump in, uh, I invite you to consider this question at home. What comes to mind when you reflect on what love looks like for you? Like, How do you know you're loved? And if you're comfortable, please share your thoughts or reflections on the live chat. I'll give us a moment to do that. So later this week, uh, Rachel and I will be celebrating our 20th anniversary. And a lot has happened uh, in the 20 years that we've been married, which I think I've remembered most of it, but my memory also isn't what it used to be. You know, last week we were looking at one of our friend's pictures of them in Hawaii. And I was like, oh, I should take you to Hawaii sometime since, you know, we've never been there together before. And I was genuinely wanting her to experience Hawaii with me. And she looks at me really funny. And, and the kids also gave me a strange look. And Rachel's like, you realize that's where we went for our honeymoon, right? Yes. Yes, I did. I blame the pandemic for taking away my memories. But I do remember what it was like when we first started dating and falling in love with her. And over the years, we've had our share of frustrations and conflict. And at the same time, she's offered me safety to be known and received for who I am. You know, her desire to want to know what my fears and my anxieties are, are her way of loving me for the fullness of who I am, for which I'm extremely grateful. And I think that love is something we can easily conflate with the feeling or compartmentalize it to just a few specific relationships in our lives. But there's an intention to love that should be more holistic than that. In his book, Love is the Way, this is how Bishop Michael Curry describes love. He says, love is a firm commitment to act for the well-being of someone other than yourself. It can be personal or political, individual or communal, intimate or public, Love will not be segregated to the private, personal precincts of life. Love, as I read it in the Bible, is ubiquitous. It affects all aspects of life. And the idea and expression of love is at the core of who God is and what we're invited to practice in every part of our lives. You know, it's the simplest consolidation of what we're invited to experience and practice as people who follow Jesus. And perhaps the text this morning can offer us an opportunity to reflect, to hold up a mirror and be honest with ourselves to how we are doing when it comes to the way we love. And so the question I wanna reflect on is how is our practice of love in light of what's happening around us? When we consider the personal relationships we're navigating, when we consider the greater issues and struggles our collective world is facing, does our practice of love 
reflect the love Christ modeled for us. And so we'll be exploring the Gospel of John, where we read about Jesus reminding his disciples about practicing love in an authentic, mutual, and healing way. And so we start in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things so that you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And to give a bit of context, you know, Jesus is in the middle of sharing his final words with the disciples. He's about to be betrayed and executed on the cross. And so he's summarizing everything he's taught them and reminding them what's most important. And at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus uses the metaphor of a vine and branches to remind them to remain connected to what grounds and roots us. Without the vine, the branches can't survive. Without the presence of God in our lives, we lose our ability to remain rooted and grounded. And Jesus builds on that image to explain that our connection with the vine, with God, is rooted in love. Love is what flows between the vine and the branches. And Jesus was grounded because of God's love for him. And we're loved in the same way. And so for us, as we reflect on our practice of love, we're also invited to be grounded in God's love for us. You know, many times we overlook this foundational place to start when we consider our practice of love. But Jesus reminds us of our need for self-love, not in a narcissistic way, but in a grounded and rooted way that recognizes and receives the deep love that God has for us. Bishop Michael Curry puts it this way. He says, unselfish, sacrificial living isn't about ignoring or denying or destroying yourself. It's about discovering your true self, the self that looks like God, and living life from the grounding. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, yourself. Loving the self is a required balance. If we fail in that, we fail our neighbor too. The ability to love yourself is intimately related to your capacity to love others. The challenge is creating a life that allows you to fulfill both needs. You know, he's saying that our practice of love can be limited, perhaps even stunted and incomplete if we're not grounded in God's love for us, if we're not seeing and accepting ourselves in the way that God sees and accepts us. And I think there are those of us who struggle with imagining God, seeing and accepting us with a loving gaze. And even throughout scripture and history, I mean, there's a fear of how God actually sees us. And that's why Jesus came embodied as a human to show us in a tangible way the love that God has for us. And if we go back to the beginning of this final conversation Jesus was having, 
back in chapter 13, he actually starts with an object lesson. Everything he's about to tell his disciples is actually captured in this example that he models for them. And so just as they're getting ready for dinner, Jesus, the divine God on earth, grabs a towel and a water basin, kneels down to hold and clean each of their dirty and dusty and smelly feet. That was an act of love that wasn't earned or expected. And I know that the cross tends to be the primary image of God's love that we reflect on. But what if we were to reflect more on the image of the towel and water basin? That was just as unexpected and powerful of a demonstration of God's love. And for us, where where are those moments in our lives where we receive and experience God's love for us? And how can we begin to ground ourselves in God's loving gaze towards us. You know, earlier this week, I received some really sad uh, and heartbreaking news. You know, I got a phone call from Trisha Graham from Mobile Loaves and Fishes on Monday. Uh, and she gave me the news that our dear friend Becky had passed away. And for those of you who've been with our community for a while, uh, you'll know that she was a very meaningful part of our community. Uh, Even before we started Vox, there were a couple of people uh, in our college group, Elaine Room and Sarah Chu, uh, who met Becky when she was homeless and living on the drag near the UT campus. And they offered her food and housing, and and that started our relationship with her. And over the years, she was a consistent part of our liturgy and community, and we were able to support her with getting a trailer home for her to live in. And eventually she moved onto the Mobile Lowe's uh, community first property. And she loved our community and she brought her full authentic self with her. She didn't hold back what she was thinking or, or what her needs were. And she practiced generosity, even when she was struggling to find ways to survive and get by. Uh, she would crochet hats. We called them Becky's hats. And she would sell them and wanted to donate some of those funds to others who were also in need. And I'll never forget the one year uh, on the week of my birthday, uh, she bought me a birthday mug from the local CVS and gave it to me to celebrate. And she demonstrated love from her scarcity. And even through her challenges and difficulties, she always communicated to me how much she knew God loved her and how God was constantly taking care of her through the people around her. And I think that groundedness within her, knowing how much she was loved, allowed her to express love to all of us, and she will be deeply missed. And so for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is to reflect on the ways you've been loved. Like how how can we make space to practice loving ourselves by receiving God's love for us, even love that comes through those around us. And if you need an image in your mind, you know, maybe meditate on the image of the towel and water basin. Imagine Jesus washing your feet as a reminder of God's love for you. And in that space, receive the loving gaze of God who sees 
and accepts and loves us for who we are. And then we pick up in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends because I've known, because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And when you first read this, it it sounds a bit paradoxical that Jesus is integrating friendship and obedience, right? It sounds like he's saying that you're my friends if you do what I command you. But it's actually more descriptive and, and not prescriptive. But right? Jesus isn't making this conditional. Instead, he's describing that when you express obedience, that's demonstrating friendship. And what's interesting to note here is that Jesus is the one calling them friends. He's the one who chose them as disciples, which was not the norm in Jewish culture. You know, typically young men would intentionally select a rabbi to follow and they would initiate and approach the rabbi and then go through a rigorous process that would determine whether or not the rabbi would take them on as a disciple. And so what Jesus did was unheard of. He was the one who took the initiative to ask these disciples to follow him. He chose them even before they had done anything to prove they deserved it. And when Jesus calls them friends, he completely shifts the dynamic of the relationship between them to emphasize that God's love is relational and not transactional. And for us, as we reflect on our own practice of love, we're invited to choose a non-transactional way in how we love others. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our tendency is to have some sort of expectation or condition on the love that we practice. And yet for Jesus, even though he knew his disciples were about to do some pretty hurtful things, like Judas betraying him and Peter denying even knowing him, Jesus still chose them as friends in that moment and willingly offered his life for them. And one thing I do want to be cautious about here is is the invitation to lay down our life for others. You know, I think some of us have had some hurtful teaching and application around loving others and practicing self-sacrifice, even to the detriment of ourselves. And I think there's importance to sacrificial love, which Jesus modeled for us, but maybe not where there's harm being done in the context of unhealthy power dynamics. And so maybe it's more helpful in our practice of sacrificial love if we consider, you know, how are we laying down our ego? How, how are we laying down our selfishness? How are we laying down our narcissistic tendencies since we all have them? Because that's where the transactional component of love can rear its ugly head. And so to lay down your life is to remove the transactional focus. And so for us, if we reflect on the way we love others, right, in what ways have we been transactional? In what ways are we expecting something from others in order to justify that 
our love for them is worthwhile. You know, growing up, my faith journey, um, I was taught to have an antagonistic posture towards those of other faiths. And so if I ever did start a friendship with someone with another faith tradition, uh, my goal was to figure out a way to convert them. I mean, it was so transactional. I would, I would show love, but it would be conditional based on whether they would end up believing what I believed. And if I couldn't convert them, I would move on. And so it's been a journey for me to learn what it means to hold a posture of friendship and love that's not transactional, especially in the inter interfaith space. And so my time serving as a chaplain in the hospital, uh, my participation with IACT, uh, an interfaith organization here in Austin, and attending their Red Bench conversations over the years has really shaped my understanding and posture to practice love in a non-transactional way. And so a few weeks ago, I, I had the privilege of participating in the Stop Asian Hate rally here in Austin, which was held on the Houston Tillotson campus. And as invited along with other faith leaders from around the city to offer prayers during the vigil. And these are faith leaders from other traditions that I've connected with and grown to appreciate over the years. And so here's a picture of us during the rally and everyone had on their religious garments and were representing very well. And then there was me with my plaid shirt and jeans. It was like an easy game of one of these is not like the others, but there's so much for me to learn uh, from these other faith leaders. And it was so meaningful to receive the love they offered me and others who have been experiencing hate and violence in the Asian community. And I'm now able to experience this meaningful space as I've worked on moving away from a transactional practice of love. And for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is to reflect on where our love and relationships are transactional. And consider, you know, consider what it would look like for us to lay down our ego, our selfish motives, our narcissistic tendencies in order to practice a more mutual and healing love. And then we close in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. And I know some of us have baggage around commandments and obedience, but Jesus has essentially boiled it down to one thing. What we're invited to obey is loving one another. It starts and ends with love. You know, it starts with God's love. And if we want to show love, we're told to follow God's commandment. And that commandment is to love. So love is both the input and the output. And when Jesus is inviting us to bear fruit that will last, that fruit is love. And so for us, as we reflect on our practice of love, we're invited to shape and guide our decisions and actions with love. If love is the fruit, how are we creating a more loving community? How are we becoming a more loving person? How are we facilitating more spaces of love around us? 
And sometimes when we contrast good and bad fruit, it becomes easier to identify what direction to head. You know, Bishop Michael Curry describes the opposite of love, not as hate, but as selfishness. And when you compare the fruit of each of them, you get a picture of the direction we're invited to head. Here's how he describes it. He says, that's what love is about. Where selfishness excludes, love makes room and includes. Where selfishness puts down, love lifts up. Where selfishness hurts and harms, love helps and heals. Where selfishness enslaves, love sets free and liberates. The way of love will show us the right thing to do every single time. And I think as we enter a new season for our community, you know, as we hire a new pastor, as we continue to navigate the challenges of the pandemic and of racial injustice, as we continue to work towards the dismantling of white supremacy in the systems of our culture and our politics and our policing and our theology, we're invited to do all of that with love as our guide. You know, for the past few months, every Sunday afternoon, uh, there's been a handful of Vox members, including myself, uh, who've been participating uh, in a cohort that's offered through a collaboration from the Church Lab and Texas Impact. And the initiative is called Reimagining Service. And their goal is, is to help churches navigate this pandemic and reflect on how it has impacted and shifted our resources. And at the same time, we're also invited to discover what needs in our surrounding community have surfaced in light of the pandemic and everything else that's happened this past year. And I'm really excited about what we've been processing and researching and discovering about the community needs around us. You know, things like mental health needs, mutual aid activity, you know, race conscious education, decolonizing spiritual formation. And as we finish our cohort, we'll be considering what our participation might look like based on the resources that we already have as a community. And so this is just a teaser because on the last Sunday of this month during liturgy, we'll be doing a panel with the cohort and it will be an opportunity for you all to hear what we've been processing and how Vox might be invited to participate in becoming a better neighbor. And all of these needs and opportunities are an invitation for us as a community to be guided by and to practice love. And so as we close this morning, my hope for us is that we would truly be grounded and rooted in God's love for us. And until we're fully able to see and love ourselves the way God sees and loves us, our practice of love will be hindered and incomplete. And as we move out from that grounded space of God's love, my hope is that each of us and collectively as the Vox community, we would be known for our love. And so Vox, this is my prayer for us as we leave this place with love. God who sees us and knows us, more fully than we do ourselves. May we receive your loving gaze and be grounded 
and rooted in your love. Jesus, who scrubbed the filth off of our feet and initiated friendship with us, may we not place conditions on others to earn the love you freely offered us. And Spirit, who offers us discernment to navigate the path before us, may we be guided by your love and not let our selfishness pull us off course. We ask all this in the love of God, our Mother, the friendship of Christ, and the guidance of the Spirit. Amen.